the people you trust the most who are supposed to take care of you and protect you from harm actually did the harm. When Patricia was five years old, she was initiated into a secret satanic cult through a series of sick and abusive rituals. I was whisked away by family members to take part in a ceremony, a ritual. In the basement, there was an altar that was made out of wood. And on the floor of the concrete was a pentagram painted with red paint. There was um, family members and also occult members around in a circle around the altar. They were chanting in uh, some unknown language. I just remember being pinned down, strapped down, and then a ritual performed on me. Patricia says she was raped and pledged to Satan. But the horror didn't stop there. Satanic rituals and animal sacrifice continued throughout her childhood. We were forced to drink the blood and to eat eyes. And if we didn't, our, we were tormented until we did. And um, the eyes were to give us power to see into the spirit realm. For Patricia, there was no safe place. Unable to process the abuse, she suppressed her memories. The uh, night terrors would continue and the dreams, and my brain was trying to sort it all out, work it all out, and you know, it's, it's a nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare. I felt like I was living a constant a horror movie. A horror movie, that's how I describe it. A horror movie on Halloween. At 13 years old, she ran away from home, but the darkness she'd grown up with followed her. In her teens and 20s, Patricia read tarot cards and communicated with spirits. All the while, she lived in constant fear and darkness. I was able to see demons and spirits and ghosts. And as I got older, and I still continued those things, I had spiritual guides. I wanted power. I wanted to have complete power over my life because I didn't have any power over my life when I was younger. Anytime that I went, try to get healing, from the occult, the first thoughts that would come to my mind was to, to kill myself, in which I tried many times to do, whether it be slicing my wrist or taking overdose of pills, ending up in the hospital, ending up in psychiatric ward. She longed for freedom, but didn't know where to turn. I wanted peace, I wanted to be happy, but I didn't know how to get it because I was afraid of God. I hated God. I didn't want nothing to do with him. I was searching to be safe. I was searching for peace. I was searching to be loved. Desperate, Patricia went to church with a Christian friend. As the church worshiped, she felt the love of Jesus for the first time. Then she felt something else. Everybody was praising the Lord and I wanted to do what everybody was doing. I wanted to feel what they were feeling. I needed freedom, so I raised my hands and a dark presence came up behind me and literally jerked my shoulder. I wasn't budging them. And um, I said, no, I'm not going. No, I'm not leaving. This is where I'm staying. And I continued and I just kept crying, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And then it started lifting, and lifting, and lifting. Patricia became a Christian and began a long journey to freedom and wholeness with Jesus. I got on my face and I said, 
I want to feel you moving in my life. I want to feel release from these strongholds. I want to feel peace. When I got up off the floor, he was there. He was there with me. And I started reading every scripture about him, the woman at the well, the woman um, who touched his garment. I was those women, the woman who was about to be stoned. I was all those women and one who needed him. I needed him to gradually um, show me that I could trust him. And that's what he did. Through intense Christian counseling and prayer, Patricia finally found the freedom and peace she had always wanted in Christ. Now I walk daily with joy and I never forget to thank him every day for what he's done in my life. Never forget to thank him. And I enjoy life so much more. You know, it's later in my life, but you know, he's given me all those years back that the, the devil stole from me. If he can take someone like me, who was involved in all of that darkness and oppressed by it and set me free, and give me a whole new life. If he can take someone like me, who was into the occult so deep, into that darkness so deep, who was trapped by the enemy, and pull her up out of that hole, that pit of hell, and bring her into the light, he can do that for anyone, anyone. I don't care how deep they are into the occult. He can pull you out. It just takes just a few words. Jesus, help me. And he will be there. He will be there to help pull you out. Uh, Father, we ask as uh, we continue the series, God, that you would um, pour out your grace upon us, God, that you would open our hearts to uh, those things that we need to be aware of. Uh, God, I pray your Holy Spirit would teach us, God, would lead us. Uh, would bring freedom uh, in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The text that we have been looking at is Ephesians chapter 6. And it speaks of a uh, spiritual battle that we find ourselves in. And again, I mentioned that sometimes this can be kind of weird for us as Westerners. Uh, we as Westerners tend to uh, put all of our eggs in the naturalistic basket. We need to be able to explain it through materials, through things we can taste and touch and see. Uh, but the reality is this stuff is very, very real. And uh, some of you have experienced this, I know here. Uh, if you go to other countries, you will definitely experience it. Uh, but we find ourselves in a battle. And if you're a follower of Jesus, this is stuff that you just cannot ignore. Uh, Paul tells us in our text, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Why? Why should we be strong? Uh, why should we put on the mighty power of God? It goes on, put on the full armor of God. Why should we do that? Why, why do we need armor in life? Can't I just live like a, you know, without armor? And he says this, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Now notice what he says there. That this spiritual world is such a reality that it actually is like we're struggling not against flesh and blood, not against the, the things in the naturalistic world, but against stuff in the spiritual realm. And uh, again, this stuff is very, very real. We do have a struggle with spiritual forces. 
against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, that's just a whole list of bad guys who are interested in wanting to uh, keep you from God and to keep your life in uh, a life that is not filled with abundance as Jesus wants your life to be. One of the ways he does this, one of the ways that he attacks us, and so we're going to talk about today, is by gaining footholds in our life. And this is what Paul said earlier in Ephesians. He says, do not give the devil, or you can put demons or other evil spiritual beings, a foothold in your life. And that word uh, basically is the idea, is, is a place where a person's foot can be lodged to support them securely, especially while climbing. That's how we use the word in English. It's a secure position from which further progress may be made. And so if you picture a rock climber trying to get up this smooth surface, you look uh, or she will look for any kind of foothold that they can get a grip to make it a little bit higher. And then they'll try to find another foothold. And this is the way the enemy works in her life. He will look for any open door, any foothold, any spot where he can gain ground in our life to uh, kill, steal, and destroy. The Greek word for foothold is actually means a place. We briefly talked about this last week. Uh, that uh, do not give the devil a place in your life is what he is saying. And one of the best ways to look at our lives is kind of like a house, as we talked about last week. Uh, hopefully, all of our rooms are surrendered over to Jesus, under the influence of Jesus, under the power of Jesus, where we believe him, trust him, have faith. But if you're like any, most people... There are certain areas where you have false beliefs about who God is or about who you are in God or whatever it might be. When we have a false belief or we open ourselves up to uh, the evil spiritual beings, they can get a place in our life, even as believers. Uh, we can open a door, say, in the laundry room, and, and therefore evil spiritual beings actually have a foothold when it comes to a certain area of our life. And we need to be constantly closing those windows to evil spirits, inviting the Holy Spirit in where we can be healed and where we trust Him and believe Him so that we can live lives in uh, lives of victory. Now, what are some possible indicators of demonic footholds? What are some possibilities that maybe I've opened a door somewhere in my life? Uh, what are some indicators that maybe, you know, I, I have a false belief and somehow that, that Satan has a grip in my life? Well, uh, David Appleby, who's Double PhD says this, here are some possible, these are possible indicators. Sometimes the reasons we are affected by things is just because of natural reasons. It's true. But sometimes it's a spiritual reason. Here are some possibilities. And by the way, I gave you super, super detailed notes today. There's hopefully some more out there in bulletins because I'm going to go through a lot of stuff. And uh, this is for you to take home and kind of take some time with Jesus and work through slowly through some of this stuff. But here's some possible indicators of demonic footholds. Feelings of shame or guilt that don't yield to God's forgiveness. You, you know, say, God, I'm sorry for the sin, and, and I just trust your forgiveness. But for some reason, you are just still filled with shame, and you still have this feeling of guilt. It can be an indicator of, of a demonic foothold. Accusatory voices in the mind that won't stop. Uh, mental torment, you, you, you're worthless, you suck, you can never do it, and it just torments you. Uh, ungodly coping mechanisms that just make the situation worse. Difficulty making connections with people and with God. 
Uh, reoccurring nightmares, thoughts that disrupt sleep. Sins that don't yield to traditional spiritual disciplines like meditation, prayer, and fasting. You fast, you pray, you meditate, you go to church, yet you still have these, these sins that you just easily keep falling into. An inability to experience the love, peace, and joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. A sense that your life is not your own and something else is working against you, trying to destroy you and all uh, that you and God hold dear. An inability to change any of the above, no matter how much you try or want or how hard you try. And so you just try to do everything in the physical realm, maybe even praying, and you just, there just doesn't seem to be change in your life. That can be an indicator that an evil spiritual being has a, has a foothold in your life. Personal family problems that don't respond to therapy, or physical or psychological problems that don't respond to medication. The doctors just can't keep figuring it out. Uh, they can't figure it out. You've done all you can, and it just seems to be a mystery. Those can be indicators of uh, evil spiritual beings that have gotten a foothold in your life. And so this, again, is talking about serious stuff here. Uh, that this is a real issue that a lot of people face, and so it's important that we learn how to find freedom from demonic footholds. We learn to find freedom when it comes to some of these things. So today what we're going to do is look at some of the reasons why we might have a demonic foothold. Some of the reasons why and how we might open a door to evil spiritual beings. And the first one we're going to talk about is uh, long-term sin. It's not if you just, you know, blow it one day and you ask God for forgiveness. This is something that just seems to have a grip on you, that you keep doing over and over and over again. Uh, God's calling you to repentance, and you just keep going back. Long-term sin can open up a door for the demonic or evil spiritual beings to have a foothold in your life and to drag you down. In fact, this verse, do not give the devil a foothold, the very context of that verse is in the context of long-term personal sin. Notice what surrounds this verse, uh, falsehood, uh, being angry, uh, stealing no longer, uh, being a blessing to those who are in need, uh, not letting unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And some of the biggest open doors can be through things like unforgiveness. And we talked about this last week, and bitterness. Uh, one of the quickest ways, a lot of times when we find people who have uh, evil spiritual beings that have gotten a, 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 a grap on someone's life, can be often traced down to an unforgiving, a, a bitter spirit, or someone who's just kind of holding a fence uh, when it comes to uh, someone's life. Hi, hey, Isaiah, how are you? I stuck this in your notes. Uh, basically, again, uh, stuff you can work through on your own is a list of various sins and to spend some time actually just going through this list uh, and just asking the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, do any of these things have a grip on my life? Uh, and then what we can do is just ask God to forgive them. You can say a prayer like, Lord, I confess anger as my sin. I repent of it and ask you to forgive me. And it's really, really important that you receive and believe his promise to forgive. Because sometimes what we'll do is say, God, I ask you for forgiveness, but we don't really believe that he forgives us. It's a promise. 
you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you're going to be saved. It's the same with, with uh, sin, that if you say, God, forgive me, he promises to cleanse you from sin. Uh, we thank you that you promise that if we confess our sin, that you are faithful and just to cleanse us of our sin in all unrighteousness. And so in Jesus' name, we receive your forgiveness. Amen. Uh, this is a practice that Jesus uh, taught us uh, to actually do daily. Uh, in the Lord's Prayer, where He teaches us how to daily prayer. You know, our Father who uh, is, is in heaven, uh, hallowed be our name. Part of that is that we would confess, uh, God, forgive us our sins as we forgive the sins of others. And so we want to be walking in a way that, that our soul is clean. And the way we do that is through confession and repentance. And so uh, personal long-term sin is one of the ways... Uh, we can open ourselves up to uh, footholds from evil spirits. The next one I want to talk about is generational sin, uh, sometimes known as ancestral sin, uh, generational ties, sins of the fathers, or generational curses, which is basically a demonic foothold that is passed down from generation to generation. Now, this can be controversial uh, for some in some areas of Christianity, partly because uh, sometimes people just kind of go wacky on this, and they think that everything is the result of a generational sin or a generational curse. The other extreme is people just, uh, this is what we talked about, remember last week, how one of the temp, uh, tactics of Satan is that when we spot deception, is that Satan wants us to push it all the way in the opposite direction, away past the truth into another deception. Sometimes when people see the wackiness of this, Satan pushes them all the other way where they just say, well, this, they just deny it all. Uh, but there seems to be some truth and biblical support for this, uh, that there is something to generational sin. In fact, a science is now supporting this biblical idea of generational sin. Uh, sometimes people just kind of poo-poo it because they just don't understand it, and often we like to demonize what we don't understand. But let's just look at some scripture for a moment here. In the book of 2 Samuel, it says this, during the reign of David, there was a famine for three successive years. So David sought the face of the Lord, and the Lord answers him. So there's a famine in the year for three years. There's drought. People are dying. People are suffering. David goes to God and says, God, why is this happening? And the Lord answers him. Now, we in our Western, safe, comfortable Christianity, it's very naturalistic, would say, would think that God would say this, well, David, there are just natural laws, and sometimes the clouds just don't come your way, and you just need to pray for the weather to change, and maybe one day it's going to rain. We would kind of expect God to give some sort of naturalistic explanation to this. Uh, maybe people are a little more super at, and, I, and I don't know why we always think God speaks with a low voice. Maybe he's got a really high voice. I don't know. Uh, we don't know. <laughs> but maybe we think that maybe uh, God would say, well, David, this is because you sinned. You're the king of the land, and uh, because this happened at another time in David's life where his personal sin affected other people, we might expect God to say, well, David, it's because you sinned, and this is the reason for the famine, or it's because your people are really, really bad. This is why there's famine in the land. Now, notice what God says. And this is why there, there are some strange texts in the Bible. The Lord says, it is on the account of Saul. Now, Saul has been dead for a long time now. It is on the account of Saul and his blood-stained house 
it is because he put the Gibeonites to death. There is a famine going in the land currently because of a sin of someone who is long dead. And so this idea that our ancestors or people in the past that actually can affect reality today is, is quite clearly taught in the Scripture. And there are times when things done in our uh, ancestors' lives that can really cause footholds in our life that demons get a hold of and cause trouble in our lives. Now, usually the people who just kind of say, well, this, this is not Christian or you shouldn't talk about this, point to this text in Ezekiel. And it says this, uh, the one who sins is the one who will die. The child will not share the guilt of the parent, nor will the parent share the guilt of the child. The righteousness of the righteous will be credited to them, and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them. So they will say, look, this verse says that a child will never uh, experience the guilt of a parent's sin. Uh, but this verse is talking about guilt, not consequences. Uh, you will never, God's never going to charge you with guilt for something your parents or your ancestors did. But all through the scripture, we see people experiencing the consequences of the sins of parents or aunts. And, and we just know this in reality. <laughs> I, I, mean, I mean, this shouldn't be so surprising to us. I mean, we say things like this. Well, the apple don't far, fall far from the tree, you know. Like father, like son, you know. Uh, we, we know that kids often take on traits of the parents, good or bad. Now, if you understand what Paul is saying, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the principalities, that you understand that things in the natural often have spiritual handles beneath. That when an alcoholic fa father, and all of a sudden the son begins to start drinking and becomes an alcoholic, you can be sure that that's not some simple connection where there's no evil spiritual beings. Not, there, there's hands in there when it comes to generational sin. We know sin can be passed down simply from Romans 5. Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and this way death came to all men because all sinned. I mean, we understand this. Adam sinned. We've all been affected. In the same way, when our parents or grandparents, when Satan has a foothold in their life in a certain area, it can, not always, but it can cause uh, trouble in our lives currently. Lamentation says, our ancestors sinned and are no more, and we bear their punishment or we bear their consequences. People who are living were experiencing consequences from sins of the past. We know in Abraham's story, uh, when Abraham goes down to Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but you will live Say you are my sister. And so Abraham sinned in this, by lying to these people and saying that he's sister rather than wife. But if you read the story on, Abraham's son does the same thing. And this happened before he was born. Now, maybe it was just a connection. Maybe it was just, well, they did the same thing. That could be. But it also could be a generational connection through uh, grip of evil. We can look at the demonized boy in, in Mark chapter 9. Here is a young boy who was very demonized in the Gospels. Now, uh, New Testament scholar Clint Arnold says this about this boy. The demonization was not the result of the boy's own sin or his choice to give allegiance to false gods. The spirits were passed on to him from some other source, the most likely of which would be his family. 
And so there seems to be something to this idea of uh, generational ancestor sin affecting us and evil spiritual beings getting a grip hold in those areas. Now, interestingly enough, epigenetics, a new study of epigenetics, is really scientifically proving that this is is very real. Uh, For instance, a few years ago, uh, there's lots on this, articles on this. I've collected a few. If you want them to send me an email, I can send them to you. But at Discover Magazine, May 2013, grandma's experiences leave a mark on your genes. According to the new insights of behavioral epigenetics, Traumatic experiences in our past or in our recent ancestors' past leave molecular scars adhering to our DNA. Jews whose great-grandparents were chased from their Russian, whatever, we need a Russian person to say that, maybe Ivan, whatever, Shelties or something. Chinese whose uh, grandparents lived through the uh, ravage uh, of current uh, cultural revolution. Young immigrants from Africa whose parents survived massacres. Adults of every ethnic ethnicity who grew up with alcoholic or abusive parents all carry with them more than just memories. Their genes have actually been changed as epigenetics. That it's not just traits, it can be down to attitudes, actions, sins, or have actually proven through epigenetics to be passed on to uh, children and grandchildren. Like a, uh, a slit deposited on the cogs of a finely tuned machine, After the seawater of a tsunami recedes, our experiences and those of our forebearers are never gone. Even if they have been forgotten, they become a part of us. A molecular residue holding fast to our genetic scaffolding. The DNA remains the same, but psychological and behavioral tendencies are inherited. You may have inherited not just your grandmother's knobby knees, but also her, her predisposition towards depression caused by the neglects she suffered as a newborn, or not. If your grandmother was adopted by nurturing nurturing parents, you might be enjoying the boost she received thanks to their love and support. And so all these things are passed down through genes, in good ways and bad ways. Uh, You can really bless your kids uh, that when you have a baby that you have been worshiping Jesus and loving on Jesus and, and close to him because it changes your, actually your DNA they're finding and you pass that same thing on to your children. And if you're struggling and depressed and, and alcoholic and, and then you have kids, I mean, again, those things affect our kids. Now, uh, Dr. Norman Geisler, who is a theologian, a lot of people know him, a very popular theologian, says this. The Bible speaks of the results of parents' sins being passed on to their children. Moses wrote from God, I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the third to the, uh, on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. We have long known that this refers only to the consequences of parental sins, not the guilt, as we pointed out. For Ezekiel wrote, the soul who sins shall die, the son shall not suffer the iniquities of the father. So, The children can suffer from the consequences of their parents' sins, but not from the guilt of their own sin. Each person bears the guilt for his or her own sin. However, we have not known precisely how these generational curses or generational sins work. We do know that children of alcoholics often have a tendency in that direction. We also know that other evil tendencies of parents show up in children, but we do not always know how they get there. 
We do know, for example, that no alcoholic gene or homosexual gene has been identified. But until recently, we have, we have had to attempt to explain the genetic, uh, the generational influence by nurture, uh, nurture, not by nature. Thank you. However, with the emergence of uh, epigenes, we now have some possible new insights as to how this may work. And there's lots of articles on the internet about this. But the reality is, your life affects your kids. And you today are still living some effects from your, even your grandparents. And because we're not fighting just against flesh, flesh and blood, but against the rulers and principalities, there are spiritual effects that are passed down from generation to generation as, as well. These may be physical, uh, genetic defects, family illnesses. It might be emotional, inappropriate emotional reactions, depression, suicidal tendencies, uh, mental, uh, intellectual disabilities, mental illness. It could be spiritual, propensity to sin, uh, uh, rebellion, becoming <laughs> addicted. And so these things may be passed down. Now, uh, Clint Arnold, New Testament scholar, says this. The solution is to recognize the sinful tendencies and the past ungodly commitments, ties, and allegiances of one's family and to disavow them. And so to recognize those things from your ancestral history. It is especially important to note that this is not a repudiation of one's family, only a renunciation of the sinful patterns and connections. To take some time to understand some of your family who has gone before you and some of their ungodly tendencies and to spend some time uh, just praying and cleansing yourself from those. And you can use a prayer like this, and we'll spend a moment doing this at the end here. Like, in the name of Jesus, I break all generational sins and curses of maybe depression that are in my family lines and that are passed on to myself and were passed down to my family children. So sometimes it's just a natural thing that's passed around, uh, passed down. It has nothing to do with the spiritual world. But sometimes there is a spiritual grip that is being passed down from generation to generation that needs to be broken in the spiritual realm. Now, another possibility for uh, demonic strongholds is the issue of soul ties. A soul tie is basically a connection with someone that affects us at our soul level. That we're not just physical beings, we're soul and we're spirit. And there are certain relationships in where our, it's more than just a physical connection, where our soul is is combined with another person. We know this, for instance, from 1 Corinthians 6. It says, Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. And so there can be good soul ties and bad soul ties. Uh, there can be good soul ties between a husband and wife when they get married and they have a sexual relationship. It's a good soul tie. They become one. It's more than just a physical one. It's there's something going on in, in the soul and the spirit realm where you become one. Uh, you break that relationship. Uh, there can be, it, it just, it just, it's never smooth. It's like taking two pieces of wood and gluing them together. And you try to break those two apart. It's not just they don't just physically break, but there's remnants of that on each piece of wood. And this happens in the spiritual realm. And so sometimes these soul ties, these ungodly soul ties, need to be broken. And it's more than just in the, 
in uh, the issue of sex, uh, Dr. Don, Don, uh, Donald Ibbotson said this, that we can form ungodly soul ties with anyone, and these typically can happen when someone has ungodly control over us. That is, through guilt, fear, or manipulation, that they are able to get us to do things we would otherwise not do. Control is one of the key evidences that an ungodly soul tie has been formed. Sometimes you may not be able to see the control of the ungodly soul tie yourself. Ungodly soul ties are also created during sexual sin, as we noted. And so it's something that it's not just seems to be natural. It seems to be something this person has like an ungodly connection to your soul, and you just can't break from them. You just, it's impossible for you to say no. There's this control of it. may be an ungodly soul tie that needs to be broken in the spirit. And here are some signs of an ungodly soul tie. You are in a physically and or emotionally and or spiritually abusive, abusive relationship, but you feel so attached to them that you refuse to cut off the connection and set boundaries with them. Number two, you have left a relationship maybe, a long, uh, maybe long ago, but you think about the other person obsessively. You can't get them out of your mind. And number three, when you have sex with somebody else, hopefully your husband and wife, <laughs> you can hardly keep yourself from visualizing the person you have a soul tie with. So if you've gone through a divorce or you've had an affair or other relationships and you get married and you just constantly have this person in your mind, there is a soul tie that needs to be broken. Number four, whenever you do anything, make a decision, have a conversation with someone else, you feel like this person is with you or watching you. What they would think af affects all your decisions. And so you're trying to make a decision, you're like, you have this voice of this person. Well, you, it could be an ungodly soul tie, again, that needs to be broken. That uh, ungodly soul ties can have a, a demonic element to them. And you can use a prayer like this. In the name of Jesus, I break the soul tie between myself and whoever it is. I sever that link supernaturally, and I ask God to remove all ungodly influences of the other person and, and make me whole again. And that's in uh, your detailed notes, and so you can take that home. And when you do this, do it out loud. Uh, most people think that evil spirits can't read your thoughts. And so these things need to be said out loud so the evil spiritual realm can hear it <laughs> and, un and understand it. And so this is with uh, uh, soul ties. Now, another one is trauma. Uh, anybody who works in this field uh, dealing with the demonic will tell you that one of the big open doors for people is trauma that has not been resolved in one's life. Uh, these can be things like this if they have happened to you or to your parents or grandparents. Again, these, these epigenetics can uh, affect down the generations. Physical, sexual, emotional abuse or assault, mind control, neglect, serious accident or illness, domestic violence, bullying, natural or man-made disasters, war, terrorism, political violence, might be military or job trauma, maybe traumatic grief or separation. Uh, that a lot of people find, especially people who have been abused when they are young, uh, will often sometimes have a spirit guide or uh, some sort of demonic influence. And those things, again, um, it needs to be prayed over, hopefully with other people who can help you work through uh, trauma. Now, another one is ungodly vows and belief. This one's so big, that's basically next week's message. Uh, the occult, the last one we're going to look at today. 
uh, the occultist is any practice that tries to gain supernatural connection, supernatural power, or supernatural knowledge apart from God. And so anything that opens yourself up to the occult can very quickly become a, a, a grip that Satan has in your life. For instance, uh, uh, there was a pastor who uh, was interested in the occult, and so he says, you know, I'm going to start st studying seances. And so he decides to, in order to study seances, he starts attending them and participating in these seances as he studies them and trying to figure out what's going on. But as he's participating in these things, he finds himself more and more uh, finding difficulty reading the Bible. More and more he finds he can't pray. When he comes up to preach, he would be so filled with anxiety that eventually he had to quit his job. And they went back into and they found out the reason why is he had opened himself up during these seances. Or another story of a, a woman who was faithful coming to church. Uh, she was an elderly woman who was in church every single Sunday, but she had uh, horrible suicidal thoughts and was very, very depressed. And people prayed for her and they blessed her, but it just, it just would happen over and over and over again. She went to a, a very good Christian counselor and they tried to figure out if it was just, you know, you know, brain chemistry, if there was something that happened in her, in, in her life that would have caused this. And eventually they got to the occult. And they found that that was the source. She had years and years ago when her husband died, because her husband was a, 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 a terrible alcoholic and quite abusive. She was kind of tormented over whether he went to heaven or hell. And so she was always trying to find out if he went to heaven or hell. And, and this woman came up to her at one time and said, I can help you with that. I can contact the spirit of, of, of your dead husband and find out. And so she takes part in this, or she's a channel, and she speaks as a channel, and, and there's this, this vision of her husband riding this goat, and it scares her so much, she runs out of the room. But all of these suicidal thoughts and depression were traced back to that very moment. And when that door was closed and that was broken off, she was free. And so any involvement in the occult can very quickly open up a door to uh, a demonic stronghold. And here's just some things that can do that. Uh, things like Ouija board, Magic 8-Ball, Bloody Mary. That's not the drink. That's the thing in the mirror. Uh, cult games, spells or curses, superstitions, spirit guides, fortune telling, tarot cards, palm reading, out-of-body experiences that are not Christian, uh, mental telepathy, control, uh, silver mind control, automatic writing, the New Age, Freemasonry, levitation, witchcraft, Satanism, Wicca, horoscopes, astrology, that's non-Christian astrology, uh, blood packs, trying to contact the dead, crystals, good luck charms, artifacts that have been used in the occult, occult movies, uh, certain kinds of TV, satanic music, mysticism, TM, and anything else that involves religions and false cults. That if you do these things and you're opening yourself up to them, this can be very quickly become a demonic foothold in your life. Now, I also want to mention charged objects and places. This is an object that has been charged with a demonic presence. Uh, some people know this kind of as a haunted object or a haunted place. Again, there are uh, millions and millions of stories of ghosts and hauntings out there. And yeah, maybe there's some of those are made up, but some of those are very, very real. And there have been times when, when we have been called in to houses that experience. We bring in the name of Jesus because the name of Jesus is vastly more powerful than any spiritual force out there, and they leave. Uh, but uh, this is actually a biblical concept. Do you know, because sometimes we, again, in our Western worldview, 
dismiss ourselves from some of the things of the Bible. Like sometimes in the Old Testament, you know what the idols, like wooden idols and metal idols that people carved and worshipped, we laugh at that sometimes because we say, wait, who in the world would take a chunk of wood, carve out an idol, and think that was their God? Those guys were so silly. But we need to understand what they were doing. They would carve out an idol, and what they believed was, because they would take this idol and they would perform a ceremony, inviting the gods into this object to indwell it, and therefore this object would have supernatural power. They, if you will, charging it with supernatural powers. Uh, these weren't just plain wooden idols, but idols that have been charged with the spiritual realm. And uh, again, this can happen today with charged objects. I mean, we have a very real-life story in our own family. When uh, we became Christians, uh, Marie just had the worst nightmares uh, many times during the week. And they were horrible, horrible, horrible. For a couple years, they were so bad. And, and so we began to pray, why, are, why is Marie having such horrible nightmares? And one night, God gave Marie a very clear dream of a crystal we had in her house. And God in the dream said, you need to get rid of it. <laughs> so she told me the dream, said like, that's weird. Uh, we had a lot of crystals in, in the house because crystals are made by God. But this one, for some reason, had been charged. We got rid of that crystal immediately, never any more nightmares. And that crystal probably may have been used maybe in some sort of channeling or crystal contact or something like that. And so there can be charged places or objects. I mean, uh, another story of a, a pastor and wife who bought a new house. And there was one particular room in the house which it just was always strange. They always felt a dark presence. They would put a chair in there. The next day it would be upside down. Things would never stay in their place. And uh, there was some sort of presence in that room which the name of Jesus was brought in and cleansed. And so you need to be aware that these things can cause demonic footholds in your life. I mean, the reason my wife was having horrible dreams was not the pizza she ate. It was because we had an object that we willingly accepted in our house that was charged. And so, uh, Deuteronomy verse, uh, there have been clear cases reported by reputable people who have experienced manifestations of evil spirits after acquiring other objects when they had no interest in the occult. So you could actually happen this without knowing. Such items include ritual masks from Africa or South America, furniture used in black mass services or other locations where demonic activity was known to occur, and even uh, heirlooms handed down from previous generations who may have been engaged in occult practices. Now, this does not mean that every... African mask is bad. We have some, and they're wonderful. Uh, but some, if they've been used in the occult, can be bad. And so it is good, again, if you're having these demonic issues, to just say, God, is there anything in my house that I need to get rid of? To ask God. Uh, you may go, if you're suspicious, pick up an object and, and ask God about it. If it can be burned, then you want to burn it. We have uh, this in the Old Test or New Testament, when it comes to occult books, it said a number who had practiced sorcery brought their skull, uh, scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas, which is like $10,000. a lot of money. And sometimes we may want to hold on to something because we think, you know, this is valuable. But if it's been uh, charged and when you pray over it and it's not removed, then you may have to get rid of it and you may have to burn it. And here are some things that you definitely want to burn. Occult New Age, demonic books, Ouija boards, 
uh, tarot cards, Ascender Massive decks, idols, pagan gods that have been uh, charged or been used in other religions, crystals that have been used in the occult. Again, not all crystals are bad. <laughs> God created them. They're awesome. But there can be ones that are charged. That's already on there. Uh, and that's already on there. Spell kits. That's not on there. Things, things to burn. All right. So just as we close, we want to take uh, just a moment. And again, uh, take some of this home and work through it. But we're just going to take maybe three minutes uh, just to do a little bit of that here. And so through this prayer, there is personal and then there's generational. If you've been involved in the occult in any area of your life or if there's something you've opened yourself up to, if you have a sermon in, so there's a list in there, you may just know, then you want to pray this kind of prayer. And again, uh, we're going to have music. I'm going to turn it up a little bit so you can say this. You don't have to yell it, but just say it out loud a little bit, because again, you want the evil spirits to hear. In the name of Jesus, I cut myself free from all attachments to, say, Ouija board, and I cast away every spirit of Ouija board. Then, if there's things in your family line that you know of, in the name of Jesus, I break all generational sins and curses of, uh, maybe some of your family members were involved in Satanism, and so you cut that off, uh, that are in my family lines and were passed on to myself and were passed down to my children, if applicable. So, proclaim freedom over every single person in this room. God, if there have been any open doors to the world of evil spirits, we declare those closed in Jesus' name, that you have no power, God, over us as sons and daughters. Uh, and so, Father, we uh, just release the power of your spirit release forgiveness, we release grace, and we release your power. In Jesus' name, amen.